tonight, Ruth chapter 4, and we are going to finish up the book of Ruth. And one of the things that we've been doing as we go through this story, obviously, this is a true story, but there's a message here for us. It's, it's in the Bible for a lot of reasons, and we have been looking at the parallels that all would agree, pretty much everyone would agree, that Boaz is a uh, representation of Jesus. They would say that Ruth is a representation of the Gentile church. Naomi is a picture of Israel. Everyone typically agrees with that. Uh, in fact, most of the preaching you'll hear, it will talk about those very things. But then all of a sudden, whenever you get into chapter 4, the symbolism there, it just abruptly stops with a lot of people. And, that, and we're going to see it's because it very negatively affects their view of scriptures it negatively affects their theology if they follow that completely through and so we're going to look at that and tonight one of the things i'm going to show you as we go through ruth chapter four that is very important and a lot of times you know we have galatians three and four so you know you might think i don't really need this okay but understand there are you know if you were a jew if you were somebody, or if you, you were a Jew today, and you claim to believe the Old Testament, you understand how these legal things, they do matter. These things of the law do matter. God cares about all of His words. He cares about all of His laws, all of His promises, all of His commands. And so, I'm going to show you here our legal claim to Israel's inheritance. Because people always act like we're stealing Israel's inheritance. Well, we're not stealing anything. Okay? We have legal claims to Israel's inheritance according to the Word of God, according to the law of God. And I'm going to show you how that works um, as we go through, when we go through this chapter. And so this chapter would trigger uh, a lot of people. And, um, you know, it was interesting. I don't know if you got to see the interview I did with the Orthodox Jew uh, this week. But, you know, one of the things that was interesting talking to him because, you know, the Orthodox Jews, they do have a greater focus uh, on certain aspects of the Scriptures than a lot of other Jews do. Obviously, they still miss a lot. But one of the things that was so interesting to me was how he acknowledged that God removed them from the land because they weren't worthy, because they weren't righteous enough. And, I mean, he was like right on the money when he said that. And I'm just thinking, you know, you do understand the only way you can have that righteousness is through Jesus Christ. And unfortunately... Unfortunately, they're, they're blind to that. And it, it's really, it's really sad. I think people like him, there's a, there's a sincerity, but there's also a blindness. And it's amazing that people like him, who have such a great knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures, it's sad how much they can't see. It really is amazing. People like him probably have a lot more of the Old Testament memorized than any of us do, yet they can't see Jesus in there. They can't see the spiritual. It, it really is sad. And uh, as I was talking to him, I was just, I felt like I was seeing the reality of much of what the Bible tells us about them. And, you know, our, our hearts ought to break for people like that, you know. And a, a lot of times we get so caught up in the battle over who's right about Israel and stuff. And, you know, you get mad at people calling them the chosen people and stuff like that. It can cause us to have a hateful attitude. And I don't think that's of God. I don't think that's godly. I don't think that's the attitude the Apostle Paul had. And I, I think we ought to have a sorrow in our hearts for him. And I did. You know, 
obviously I, I hate what he believes. I hate his religion, but I kind of like the guy. And uh, I, I, would, I would love to see someone like that get saved. Uh, somebody zealous like that, you know, and uh, you, you almost wonder if somebody like that might be kind of another Apostle Paul in some ways, you know, and just taking that zeal and using it for right. Uh, what an amazing thing that would be. But anyway, let's get into this chapter. So it says in verse one, then went Boaz up to the gate and sat him down there and behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by unto whom he said, ho, such an one, uh, turn aside, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down and he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit ye down here. And they sat down. So I think it's interesting how this kinsman is not named. I tried seeing if there was a way in the Bible to figure out who he was. I was looking up the genealogies and things like that. And I couldn't find any evidence or, or, or any ideas from that. Boaz is not mentioned much in the Bible except in the book of Ruth and just being mentioned in genealogies. So it was hard to... Uh, so I don't think there's any way we can know who he is. But I personally think he's kind of a representation of the law. Per- personally... Uh, is what I think when we are looking at him. And just another interesting fact, too, about Boaz. But uh, does anybody know what Boaz was before he had Ruth? Ruthless. I, I, know I was bad, but I had, I had to do it. I had to do it. Sorry. I just probably killed the spirit right there. But anyway, so here, Boaz, he goes to the gate. He, that kinsman there. And this here is how, and we talked about this a little bit last week. This is how they handled legal matters back then. And whenever you see someone sitting in the gate in the Bible, that typically shows leadership and authority. And remember that passage. We all know that passage here about blessed is the man that hath this quiver full of them. Talking about children. Uh, he sh- what does it say? He should not be ashamed. He shall sit with enemies in the gate. But it just kind of shows he'll be in leadership. Uh, is what that's talking about. And so this is where people would come. They would make agreements and they had these respected men who were there who were witnesses to these things that took place in case there was a dispute in the future. So there's about to be a legal transaction that's going to take place here. And I imagine there was probably that s- someone who kept some kind of records, but ultimately these men would sit there and whenever there was some kind of legal matter needed to be settled, they would go, and even today we have things like notaries and stuff like that. Just people who, uh, they have some kind of license to just verify certain legal transactions and things took place. And that's, this was how they did it back then. So this was very public. Everyone knew this is where these matters are. If there was any question, hey, let's talk to some of those men, the leaders, these men who sat in the gate. And they were like, yeah, I was here when they made this agreement. So this was just how they did it back then. And so he said unto the kinsman, Naomi that has come again out of the country of Moab, sell the parcel of land which is our brother Elimelech's. And I thought to advertise thee, saying, Buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is none to redeem it beside thee, and I am after thee. And he said, I will redeem it. And you know, I think last week I might have messed this up a little bit, and I'm not even 100% sure, but I thought at first it was the kinsman saying, I will redeem it, and then he changed his mind. Uh, but no, I think this is just uh, Boaz saying, you know, if you're not going to do it, I will redeem it. Either way, the kinsman's not going to redeem it. Boaz is going to do it. And so in verse 5 then said, Boaz, what day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou must buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his 
inheritance. So remember, you know what he what he's wanting to purchase is what belonged to Naomi technically, because of the fact that she was married to Elimelech, and these things were supposed to stay in their family. But um, both of Naomi's sons had died. She has no one to pass these things on to. So Elimelech doesn't have any brothers. So a near kinsman, they have the ability to purchase this from Naomi who doesn't have anyone to pass that inheritance to. So this is everything that's being done here is according to the law of God because these these things mattered, especially during this time. And so, uh, and, and so whenever too, he said, now if you buy this, Okay, you also have to do it of Ruth because Ruth was married to Malan. And so the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar mine own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the manner in former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing. For to confirm all things, a man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor. And this was a testimony in Israel. And so this is similar to what we looked at last week, but I do believe there's some differences. Uh, we don't see them doing any of the shaming part. And I believe, too, it was because the shaming was something that was done to a brother. Where it was like there was an obligation, if you had a brother, to raise up seed to your brother. But uh, there wasn't an obligation for a cousin or a second cousin or something like that. The obligation was really only on a brother so even though this nearer kinsman doesn't want to redeem it, there's no shaming of him. He didn't have to. He just was legally first in line to be able to redeem it because he was the closest relative. And so, verse 8 says, Therefore the kinsman said unto Boaz, Buy it for thee. So he drew off his shoe. And Boaz said unto the elders and unto the people, Ye are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chalion's and Malon's of the hand of Naomi. And so Boaz, he's publicly, he's got his neighbor's shoe or his, his kinsman's shoe. And he's like, everything that's Naomi and Ruth's is now mine. I'm buying it. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess and the wife of Malon have I purchased to be my wife to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren and from the gate of his place, your witnesses this day. So Boaz is declaring, I'm going to raise up a seed to Malon, to Elimelech. I'm, their, their name is going to continue. They are going to continue to have an inheritance because I'm going to take Ruth and I'm going to raise up seed in their name. So in reality, legally, okay, again, we're, we're a lot more technical in our culture today. It's all about who people descend from physically that we care about the most. But even we have adoption and stuff like that in our country. But again, these things mattered more back then, especially because of the fact that there were certain prophecies and promises that were made to Israel that was going to come through that line. Especially, too, from the line of Judah. There were certain prophecies. And I do believe that these people, they, did, they, they, were, they were taught to care about these things in case they were the ones that God chose to have the line come through. And, and, and I think we'll see a little bit of evidence of that here in a little bit. But, uh, so right here, um, 
you know, he's, he's made this declaration. And again, he's going to have a child, but the child is going to be Elimelech's or Malon's. Okay, so keep that, keep that in mind. He's going to be in that line legally. So don't forget that. Verse 11. And all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that has come into thine house like Rachel and Leah, which two did build the house of Israel and do thou worthily in Ephrathah and be thou famous in Bethlehem and let thy house be... Listen to what these people are saying. Okay, because let's just keep this in mind. First off, this is the line that the Messiah is going to come from. I don't know that they knew that. Okay, I, I, I don't know that for sure. It almost seems like they did. But as he's making this, this legal declaration and binding himself to this, you can see the community kind of putting a blessing on him here. They are, they're blessing him, wanting him to be fruitful, wanting his name to be famous. And is his name famous? You better believe it is. It's mentioned in the line of Boaz. Or in the line of, uh, his name's, the name of Boaz is mentioned in the line of Christ in Matthew, in Luke. It's there both times. He was where the Messiah came from. But legally, okay, legally, Elimelech can claim it too. Elimelech, you know, and Malon can claim it too because he raised up seed in their name. So they do have legal claim. The Messiah did not physically come from Elimelech and Malon, but legally he did. Legally he did because Boaz raised up seed in their name. And so they are. They are uh, putting this blessing. And it it says, And let thy house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bare unto Judah, of the seed which the Lord shall give thee of this young woman. And notice too, and I imagine probably one of the reasons they mention this too is because in this inheritance, these are people from a certain tribe. They're from the tribe of Judah. But if you remember, when Judah had uh, uh, children with Tamar, there were twins, Perez and Zerah. And Perez was the one that the Messiah came from. And so they specifically mentioned Perez. And these people probably were all from that line. But all these names that are being referenced here are in the Messianic line. And remember too, that when Jacob is blessing his sons, and he he gave authority to Judah to be the leader of the tribes. Judah was to be the leader of the tribes. And the scepter was not to depart, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. A messianic reference to Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ came. And, and Jesus Christ, spiritually right now, is seated you know, on the throne of David. He's the head of all those things. We're waiting for Him to come back. And so, this blessing though that they gave, it does. It shows us who these particular Jews were. They were from the tribe of Judah and in their inheritance. So, they were probably pretty closely related, mentioning these common ancestors. Verse 13, So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife, and he went in unto her, and the Lord gave her conception... And she bare a son. And the woman said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel, and he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age for thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons. 
hath borne him. So this child that was born, uh, you know, was just born, it was, it was special. And it was almost as if they knew he was going to have a great name or continue to have a great line. I mean, that's what it seems like when you're reading this here. And again, I don't know. Sometimes you look at these stories and it's like, did they know something prophetic's going on? I don't know. And I don't know what that was outside. It sounded like a helicopter flew right over this building. But either that or some kind of really loud vehicle. But yeah, that was, that was very distracting. But verse 16, And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became a nurse unto it. And the woman, uh, women, her neighbors, gave it a name saying, There is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez begat Hezron, and Hezron begat Ram. And Ram began Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Naashon. Naashon begat Salmon, and Salmon begat Boaz, and Boaz begat Obed, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. So right there, we see that line. And here's just kind of another side note too. Does anybody know who um, Boaz's mom was? She's pretty famous. Yeah, you're correct. Rahab the harlot. That was that was Boaz's mom. And because if you read Matthew, it mentions when it's going through the genealogy, we get, uh, we get Boaz. Uh, it's in there. All right, it's 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 in it's in there somewhere. But yeah, if you go through the genealogies, uh, so his mom would have been Rahab the harlot. So just kind of an interesting uh, story right there. And it's just interesting again how the scriptures focus so much attention on seemingly random characters like Rahab the harlot, like Boaz, but they weren't random. God knew who these people were. God knew what He was going to do through these people. So it's just really an amazing thing about the Scriptures. So here's the big question. though: Why did Naomi take Ruth's child? I mean, think about it. Naomi was pretty old, but yet she was able to be a nurse uh, to this child. But this, she took this child because this child was the legal heir to Naomi's son, Malon. Boaz took Ruth, raising up seed to Malon. And so while so much of this is foreign to us, it's important that we understand the significance legally and prophetically about what we just saw. So again, remember, Naomi represents Israel, a people that God had made great promises to. Did God not make great promises to Israel? Absolutely, God made great promises to Israel. Does God keep His promises? Of course, God keeps His promises. And God keeps those promises according to His Word. Okay? Dispensationalists who don't know how to uh, handle all the truth we shove down their throats typically just accuse us saying, God broke His promise. And if God broke His promise to Israel, how do you know He's going to keep His promise to you? Listen, if you ever hear me teach that God breaks His promises, then you can say something really dumb like that. Okay? But I believe God keeps all of His promises. So, uh, just, you don't understand the promises of God. Let's not strawman each other. But, so, Naomi, though, remember, Naomi leaves the house of bread. She leaves Bethlehem. She goes to Moab. All her sons died. Naomi, like Israel, returned to Bethlehem with no fruit, no children, no future. All she had was a daughter-in-law who chose to tag along with her. And Ruth... She is a Moabite or a Gentile who loved Naomi 
and embraced the God of Naomi. And so you have, and I believe she is a picture of, of the church. Well, and so then, too, you have Boaz, who is a picture of Jesus, who loves Ruth, ends up marrying her and having a child with her. And so while Israel or Naomi did not have any fruit, kind of like the barren fig tree that had no fruit, okay? Israel didn't have any fruit. You know why? Because Israel tried doing things by the law. And didn't work, did it? Can't find righteousness by the law. But Ruth or the Gentile church did have fruit. And notice, though, that the child of Ruth, again, was a legal heir to Naomi or Israel. They had claim, even though, you know, physically it wasn't hers, but legally it was. And so her son continued her their their family name it went on they had claim they had an inheritance and so this is what the new testament teaches us about us as gentile believers while we were born again by a spiritual birth in christ okay we don't come from israel that's that's not where we came from we were born again through jesus christ and so we come from christ or boaz Yet, at the same time, we are the legal heirs to Israel because just as God preserved the line of Malon through Boaz and Ruth, God preserved the line of Israel through Christ and His church. That's what we got to get a hold of. God preserved the line of Israel through Christ and His church. Ephesians 2.11 says, Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at the time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ, for He is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make it himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached to you that were far off, and to them were nigh. For through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father, now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. What are we seeing here in Ephesians 2? Jesus took care of all the things of the law that were against us, that were contrary to us. He took care of those things, enabling us, making us a fellow citizen with the saints, making us citizens of the commonwealth, of Israel. Jesus did all that through the law. He legally made us heirs. And it was legal. It was according to the word of God. No one can question it. No one could deny it, even though people try to even though people try to do it. Even just today, I, I, I there was a guy, a pastor on Twitter talking about how Christians have no claim to the Abrahamic and Mosaic covenants. That's exclusively for the Jews. And I recommended that he do a thorough reading of Ephesians chapter 2. Because that proves otherwise. Listen, go ahead. 
show me anything you want from the law that would exclude me as a Gentile from being a part of that covenant. And you know what I'll do? I'll show you where Jesus Christ abolished that in His flesh on the cross. And He made us fellow citizens with the saints. And He made us of one body. God doesn't have two different groups of people. And it's amazing. It's amazing that Christians are still teaching that even though we have places where God says, made both one. I mean, there's, he, he joined us, Jews and Gentiles. It doesn't get any more specific. But they continue making distinctions because their God, their Bible, is Darby and Schofield and Larkin and those people and the books that they wrote. It is not, they, they do not, they are not loyal to the words of our, of the King James Bible. And so, uh, turn over to Hebrews chapter 2. So again, everything Boaz did was legal. If somebody wanted to come along there and say, ah, you know what, Obed, these things don't really belong to you. You don't even really come from Alan. Your mom was a Moabite. And Boaz, he wasn't, he, you know, your dad was actually Boaz. Look at you. You look a little more like Boaz. You know, you, you, know, you look more like, like Ruth, the Moabite. You don't come from them, therefore that's not yours. The promise was to, you know, to Elimelech. It should be in, it should be in his family. The problem is, they died. They were, you could, and, and so just like the Jews, unfortunately, because of their sin, they were under the curse. Because that's what happens if you don't continue in all the things of the law to do them. You are under the curse. So Malon and Chilion, they're kind of like an example, they're like a picture of Jews in the fact that they're under the curse. They, di- they died. And, but the truth is, the way you get claim on anything, it's through Jesus Christ. You have to be of faith. And don't worry, it includes the people of the Old Testament who are of faith. Everyone who is in heaven from the Old Testament got there by faith, not by the works of the law. But let's look at a passage we saw on Sunday night, Hebrews 2. But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that He, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. That includes Jews. And especially, too, since he's writing to Jews. Right? He's writing to Hebrews. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory and to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And that verse right there messes up a lot of dispensational teaching too because that's an Old Testament quote where it said congregation and it's here it's saying it's in the church. And he says he's not ashamed to call us brethren. We're all of one body. We're all one people. And again, I will put my trust in him and again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. See, the Jews were flesh and blood like everyone else. So if Jesus is going to save the Jews, he has to become flesh and blood in order to be able to save them. And again, this is just proof too that they had to be saved just like everyone else because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus said that to Nicodemus, a Jew. 
Only way you get anything, only way you have any claim on any inheritance is through Jesus Christ. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself hath suffered, being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. So right there we do, we see how all the things are accomplished through Jesus Christ. The inheritance, the promises, they all come through Christ. And people today, Baptists are all over the country right now barfing forth this I stand with Israel nonsense, the land belongs to them, a people that are not connected to Christ. That is wrong. That is a great error. Jesus Christ are where the promises come from and He was legally of Israel, was He not? And He was the one. He was the one who made it through the wilderness without sinning. He is the one who is the high priest. He was the one who made sacrifice for sin. His body became the new and the better temple that was actually able to remove sins. And so, because, and because Jesus did all those things, He was able to save those Jews of the past who were of faith, but yet who died having sin in their life. He was able to save them and He saves all of us the exact same way. And we are all of one body. We are all in Christ. And so understand all the fruit, all the children, all of the seed that are going to be in heaven are all there as a result of the work of Jesus Christ, not the law. Even though Jesus came after people like Abraham, just remember, technically, before Abraham was, I am, is what Jesus said. He is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Even though Jesus didn't come until 2,000 years ago, God made a promise. God made a pledge of a seed that was going to come and bruise the head of Satan. And so people were able to be saved in the Old Testament before Jesus Christ actually came because the promise, the promise was there. So people did, in fact, get saved just like we do before the cross. They got saved by grace through faith. It was all on the promise of God. The only difference now is that promise has been fulfilled. It's been completed through Jesus Christ. But everyone from Adam to the last one who ever gets saved, they all got in through Jesus Christ. Naomi had no fruit. Boaz is where the fruit came from. Boaz and Ruth is where the fruit came from. And so all... And, and all who are from Boaz, Naomi has claimed to. Elimelech has claimed to. And all of those who are in Christ, Israel has claimed to because Christ came from Israel, didn't he? And Christ, Christ, you could say, raised up seed. And I'm getting ahead of myself. But Christ raised up seed in his brother's name. Is what he did. I'll, I'll show you that here in a little bit. Didn't mean to get ahead of myself there. But kind of another parallel we see is that Malan was a picture of the law. And Malan had to die before Boaz could even come along. 
And it says in Hebrews 9.15, And for this cause He is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgression, that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead, otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. And everything in the Old Testament, it was a pattern of heavenly things. And I think over and over again, we see the Old Testament telling a story of Jesus. Why? Because all these things were a pattern. What The story we're seeing in Ruth is a pattern of things to come. The sacrifices were a pattern of things to come. Things in heaven. Look at what it says in verse 23. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of the things in the heavens should be purified with these. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figure of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. And you know, this was another thing too when I was talking to that rabbi and he was talking about how the Messiah was going to build the temple. And it's just like, you understand that temple that you're waiting for, it already came. It was, it was formed in the womb of a virgin. And it grew... And it lived a, a, a life that was completely sinless, that was completely righteous, and it, and, it, and it died. It died after all the sins of the world were placed on that body, on that temple that God made, that God prepared. That all the sins of the world, including your sins, they were placed on that body, and He died. And for three days, his soul was in hell. And after three days, he resurrected again. And you know what he did? He rebuilt the temple. He purified the temple. And now, that man who had all the sin on him, who died, he is risen again and he has ascended to heaven and he is our, he's our high priest. Standing there in complete and total holiness and righteousness, and we are able to someday go in the presence of God because of Him. That's the temple that you're waiting for. It already came. You're waiting for a building made with hands. The, 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 temp, the, the real temple was formed in the womb of a virgin. Jesus Christ, that's a temple. I, I heard a guy just this week talking about a millennial temple that's going to come. You know where he gets that from? A misguided reading of Ezekiel, not understanding Jesus was the fulfillment of that. Jesus was the fulfillment of all the things of the temple. He believes another temple is going to come. It's amazing how dispensationalism and an obsession with the Jews makes people just miss Jesus. They are the real replacement theology people, replacing Jesus with everything Jewish. Absolutely insane what these people are doing. They miss so, you miss so much stuff. You miss so much stuff when you're wrong about Israel. And you're, they're, not even, they're not wrong about Israel. They're wrong about Jesus. That's who they're really wrong about. They're, they're wrong about Jesus. But I keep getting sidetracked. There's so much Hebrews. Folks, Hebrews is just an unbelievable book. All the stuff it's showing. But anyway, nor yet that he should offer himself as a high priest entereth into the holy place every year without the blood of others. For then must he have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once... In the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. 
And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for Him shall He appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So all these things, they were accomplished through Christ. And so the reason we have claim to the things of Israel is because one, we're saved and we have eternal life. And you know what? I like what Pastor First said recently. He said you can't have an eternal inheritance without an eternal people. That kind of makes sense, doesn't it? How do you, and how do you get an eternal people? You know, just eat all organic and healthy stuff and you'll live forever? No. You have to be born again. It's people with eternal life. And you, only get, you can only be born again through Jesus Christ. So there's no eternal inheritance without an eternal people. We have legal claim also to the inheritance of Israel because even though Israel died without children, Jesus raised up seed to His brother. Jesus raised up seed to His older brother, you could say. Because Israel, the, the child of the flesh, always comes before the child of the Spirit. Ishmael's before Isaac. Esau's before Jacob. Israel was before Jesus. Israel was referred to as the firstborn. But at the same time, too, we understand Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. Just like Ishmael, I mean, Ishmael was Abraham's son, but yet God said, Take Isaac, thine only son, whom thou lovest. And so understand, too, Israel was God's firstborn, kind of like Ishmael. But Jesus is God's only begotten Son, the one that He was well pleased, the one, the one that He, the one that He loved. Jesus did all the things that Israel was not able to. Jesus was the true Israel. Jesus is where all the fulfillment was. And again, legally, He took care of everything, you know, through what He did on the cross. Legally, everything's covered because He physically descended from Israel. No promises have been broken to Israel. None. The only way any promise is ever going to get broke to Israel is if God doesn't deal with them severely when Jesus or when He returns. That's the only way, because He said He was going to. He said wrath has come on them to the uttermost, unless Paul was just, you know, ranting during that time. No, Paul understood what was going on. They're in big trouble, and so we are. Yes, we are not physically of Israel, but we are legally of Israel. And the Jews of today may in fact descend from Jacob, but if they haven't believed on Christ, they are under the curse for breaking the law of God. And Matthew twenty two twenty three, the same day came in the Sadducees, which say that there is no resurrection, and asked him, uh, saying, Master, Moses said that if a man die having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. And let me tell you, Jesus' brother had no children. They, they had no children. But you know what? Jesus raised up seed to his brother. So all those things, so Israel could continue to have an inheritance. And let me tell you, Israel does still have an inheritance. Israel does have, still have a people. Abraham's seed has been multiplied like the stars of heaven. But it has, it's not, they don't still have an inheritance because an ethnic people survived. People, I mean, like crazy. Look at all that the Jews have been through over the years. Look at the Holocaust. Look at all the persecutions they've been under because they're God's people, and yet they've they've survived as a people. They've you know they've maintained their lineage. They've maintained. No, they haven't. No, they haven't. All these things are fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Stop giving the glory that belongs to Jesus Christ 
through an ethnic group of people that can't prove anything. They literally can't prove anything, yet people continue giving it to them. No, the promises to Israel are fulfilled through Jesus Christ who raised up seed to his brother. Just like Boaz raised up seed to Elimelech and Malon, Jesus Christ raised up seed to Israel. And so everything, just like everything that was Malon's became Boaz's, everything that was Israel's became Christ's. And we are his descendants. We are joint heirs. Jesus is the one who inherits all things. And we are joint heirs with Christ. And I still can't get Baptists to tell me what does Israel have coming for them that Jesus doesn't? And what does Jesus have coming for him that I don't as a joint heir with Christ? Nobody can answer that question. You know why? Because there is no answer. They study that, it's going to mess up their theology real bad. But let me just give you, let me just quickly give you a bonus point. All right, let me give you, let me give you an extra bonus point. I was hoping I get done in time to cover this because I think this is important. But what exactly is the inheritance of the saints? Because in the Old Testament, the inheritance was really big. God kept giving them inheritance. They were supposed to pass these things down. I mean, it was so important. I mean, thou shalt not remove thy neighbor's landmark. Why? You know, you don't mess with somebody else's inheritance. These inheritance, they, they mattered. They meant a lot. They were recorded in the Scriptures meticulously. And Ephesians 1.18, but what is this inheritance of the saints? It says, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of His glory of His inheritance in the saints. Hey, what is this inheritance in the saints that Jesus has? Well, Colossians 1.12 says, Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. You know, when I read that, I just can't help but thinking this inheritance of the saints that he's talking about is something that's been around for a while. And understand when Colossians was written, Christianity hadn't been around very long at all. What is this inheritance? Well, Hebrews 1.1 says, God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things by whom also he made the worlds, who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he hath by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Christ inherited all things. Okay? So what inheritance? You name it, it's his. Okay? He inherited all things. God made him the inheritor of all things. And let me ask you, is Abraham's inheritance the same as Jesus' inheritance? Hebrews 2.16 says, Very rarely he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. So again, Jesus took on him the seed of Abraham. And so, if Abra is Abraham's inheritance the same as our inheritance? Hebrews 9.15, For this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgression that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. So, we are, and we already looked at that passage, but notice this eternal inheritance that he's talking about. And again, this by itself doesn't completely prove our point here, but this isn't all there is. Because Galatians 3 makes it very clear that the promises to Israel 
are in fact our promises as believers in Christ. Because he says now to, in verse 16, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not into seeds as of many, but as of one and to thy seed which is Christ. And this I say that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ the law, which is 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. So notice this inheritance God gave to Abraham, not through the law, but through promise. Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. So without a doubt, this promise of an inheritance to Abraham was to his heir, Jesus Christ. And so if the promises to Abraham belong to Jesus, and if we are joint heirs with Christ, how can a Baptist pastor say that the covenants to Abraham and Moses have nothing to do with the church? How do you do that? You know, you, the only way you can do that is if you remove Christ from the equation. Because I get it. My only connection to Abraham and Moses, it's not through flesh and blood. It's not through the law. It's through Jesus Christ. And I'm glad. I'm glad I'm not connected to those guys only through the law. Because if I was, if it, that was the way, I'm under the curse for being a sinner. So again, it, it doesn't work. I mean, the only way you can claim a Jew has any claim to any inheritance of Abraham's is if he has no sin. And there was only ever one of those and his name was Jesus. And there will not be another one again. So, Romans 8, 12 says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if we live after the flesh, we shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are sons of God. For ye have not received the Spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the Spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. I get it. We're not physically from Christ. I get it. No, we were adopted. Okay? We were adopted. It was a spiritual birth. It was a legal thing. Folks, look at us. Do we really think we're physically from Jesus? No, we're sinful, corruptible. But you know what? Now are we the sons of God, but it does not yet appear what we shall be. It's not, we're not going to stay like this. The Spirit indeed, Himself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Joint heirs. That makes it sound equal. I mean, it makes it sound like we're, we're going to share everything with Him. You know what? That shouldn't make us proud. That ought to humble us. Because He did it all. He did it all. It's okay for us to be thankful for that as long as you don't get lifted up in your mind because of that. No. He did it all. He did it all. I just received it as a free gift. So we are joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, we may also be glorified together. Glorified. That's when He changes us. That's when, that's when we look like a son of God. We don't look like Him right now. But we will. One of these days. And so the burden of proof is on them to put a distinction between the inheritance of the Jews and an inheritance that we have as joint heirs with Christ. And the only thing they can attempt to do in their ignorance, assuming their audience is ignorant, is they will show the differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament, ignoring the fact that the Old Testament has been done away and it has been replaced by a new and better covenant. They will have to diminish Christ. They'll have to remove, they will have to replace Jesus Christ. 
is what they will have to do. And that's just wrong. That's just heresy. And so, with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank You so much for uh, this chapter and the things we were able to learn from it. What an amazing book the book of Ruth is. And the Lord, I just pray You'll help us to take these things. Lord, help us never get lifted up with pride based on our position, but let it humble us and just cause us to be thankful for all that You've done. You definitely deserve 100% of the glory uh, for all that, that has been done. And we thank You uh, for it. Help us to spread this message uh, to the world. At the same time, in Your name we pray. Amen.